0: Session with Dr. Fadid Polakwi. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310 Before I begin the show, I'm sure many of our listeners were watching the game uh, on Friday where Iran won one to zero against Morocco, uh, a surprising and last minute victory, but it was really fun to see all the reactions of people across the world, including in Iran, to seeing that victory, and uh, we'll see what the team can do Wednesday against Spain, it'll definitely be a tough match, but um, I'll be watching with as, as many of you I'm sure will be too, and um, because it's Wednesday at 11am, I won't be doing my live show. There, because I will be watching the game. So, um, good luck to the team. We'll see how they do, and I hope uh, other listeners will be watching. We'll get to see a good game. Um, Before I get into the books, let me also mention again I'll be doing a seminar this Sunday on success. That's this Sunday, June 24th, from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Tickets are available for $40 at the door. I'll be talking about. My ideas of success, what it is, and also what it isn't, because I think a lot of us have the wrong ideas of what it means to be successful. And then also talking about how we can live a successful and meaningful life and how each individual has to find that for themselves. So I hope to see you this Sunday from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. That's this Sunday, June 24th. All right, before I discuss. The book of the week for this week i'll announce the book that i'll talk about next week and that is swearing is good for you by emma Byrne. swearing is good for you the amazing science of bad language and i've not read this book um, i'm sure the title makes people gives a little rise i think which is i think the point of it but it looks at some of the science Uh, including neuroscience and psychological studies and sociological studies, looking at bad language and swearing and apparently the benefits that it has. So I'm interested to hear what Emma Byrne has to say in this book and sharing it with you next week. But the book of the week for this past week was a little bit of a departure from the psychological field and more In the astrophysics or scientific field, it was Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was an astrophysicist. And um, it was a really interesting book. Uh, He goes from the beginning of the universe, or what we know as the Big Bang, which was about 14 billion years ago, and then covers a variety of topics, including things like dark matter and dark energy, and also gets into our solar system, and a lot of it was interesting, a lot of it was confusing or hard for me to understand, and the way I see some of it is that we don't really understand all of it yet, and the scientists are still discovering new things and trying to understand things, Um, but it was also interesting as he briefly got into... The history of how things were discovered and seeing what scientists did and how they were able to come up with their theories or their um, equations or various things to understand our universe which was really interesting. So I, I enjoyed the book and I still feel like although I learned a bit about astrophysics it's still so much that I don't know but that's I think was very much expected when I when I picked the book up, um, but yeah, he talks about some concepts that are hard to understand or hard to wrap our minds around. At least for myself, I can say that. Uh, for example, things like dark matter. So matter is things that we think of as substances. It doesn't have to be a solid. Even gas would be matter. But there's something that they they call dark matter. That's what they. Scientists are agreeing to call it, which is something they don't quite understand, but based on various calculations of things uh, of gravity and gravitational pull and forces, they find that there is some matter out there that they can't see. And they're saying it's not that it's dark as in if there was light on it, we would see it, but it's dark as in we really just, it's hard for us to to measure it or see it at all. And it's it was quite confusing for me to read it, and I'm sure as you're listening to me, I'm not making it sound Less confusing, Um, but there's so much of this dark matter that it makes up six times of the total, six times the gravity of all the visible matter that we have. So it's more, much more of this stuff than the stuff we can see or we can measure. And so we still don't know exactly why that is or what it is, but for now they have this term dark matter. And maybe someday soon, or maybe someday in the distant future, we will come to understand what that is or why we have this uh, in the universe Um, another thing that's so hard to understand is when you read things like billions of stars and we know that human beings are not good at really understanding these numbers or really big numbers when you tell people millions and billions and trillions almost to us they all sound the same but you realize there's a huge order of difference between those so it's hard really for us to grasp these ideas of when there's millions of stars or galaxies what that means um, our solar system is just one of i think it's billions in our galaxy the milky way which is quite incredible to think about and again I can say it as words, but to really grasp the idea is very hard. So that's something that I found interesting is that as as you understand the universe more, you do get a lot of answers, but in a lot of ways you get even more questions, more things you realize that we don't know and don't understand. Uh, for me, it was also interesting and um, admirable to see the individuals who would describe scientists throughout history. And... The hard work and dedication and ingenuity and that they had and creativity to try to figure out our universe better. I thought that was really interesting and and almost inspiring to see how hard they work and what they have thought up. Lots of times without the instruments to really figure it out, but then also even figuring out what instruments to use to measure various things. Um, to think that. They can know what a planet or a star is made up of light years away from us based on the light that it emits when they put it through a prism or where they do different things. They can understand the elements of a planet or the elements of a star that is light years away and a light year is the, the, the distance, the speed of light or that light can travel in a year which is, I don't know the exact number, but it's a lot. Um, So that, that is quite incredible. Or when you think about the fact that when we look up at the stars, what we're seeing in a way is like a time capsule. Because if stars are millions and millions of light years away, that means that they might not actually be there now. Meaning that if you went to the location where that star is or It itself is currently not in existence, but what you're seeing is the light that it emitted millions of light years or ago, or millions of years ago. And that's just crazy and hard to understand, but that the stars you see might not actually be there. Again, things that kind of blow our mind or are hard to grasp. So it was interesting to get some understanding, a very, very basic one, and I'm sure it's obvious. By the way, I'm describing these things that I don't have a great understanding of them, but I found it very interesting, uh, of of astrophysics, which was pretty cool. Uh, But he also talks about, at the end of the book, the cosmic perspective, because you might think, well, what's the point of learning about these things? I think it is very important because it is us. We are one planet within this universe and we can understand ourselves better the world better what is around us and if he gets into if there is life on other planets and even and and of course the answer is almost definitely yes based on um how many galaxies and stars there are uh, but he gets into how an alien life form might try to detect earth and i thought that was kind of interesting because it's not so easy to find planets when they're light years away. So that was kind of interesting to see that. But in the talking about the cosmic perspective, he's, he shows how it can be important for us to understand our place in the universe and how having the cosmic perspective and being able to recognize the whole world or this whole universe, and even there might be more than one universe, which he talks about um that can give us an idea of certain things. For example, he says, the cosmic perspective is humble. The cosmic perspective is spiritual, even redemptive, but not religious. The cosmic perspective enables us to grasp in the same thought, the large and the small. The cosmic perspective opens our eyes to the universe, not as a benevolent cradle designed to nurture life, but as a cold, lonely Hazardous place, forcing us to reassess the value of all humans to one another. I thought that was kind of interesting. And the next one, the cosmic perspective shows Earth to be a moat, but it's a precious moat. And for the moment, it's the only home we have. Realizing that this planet was not here forever and won't be here forever, just like actually our sun won't be here forever. Not anything happening to it soon but not in any of our lifetimes, but maybe in millions of years. But so it's an interesting thing that when we look at the whole universe, we realize our place in it. And in some ways, even as he talks about some of our earthly problems or disagreements that we have, when we have the cosmic perspective, they become a lot smaller. Or even when we start to fight between each other on this planet, we can realize maybe how silly that is or how stupid. That is when we consider our place in the universe. So I thought that was quite interesting. And another analogy for me that wasn't in the book, but that I sometimes think about is our own selves. And even uh, you don't have to go so far to realize that there's things that we can't quite understand or that we can continue to discover about. And what I like to sometimes call our Unconscious or ourselves, I think we have an inner cosmos, meaning that within ourselves, there's so much to know and discover that we don't know. And as you start to, to reflect more deeply, whether it's in the course of therapy or on your own, you start to see that there's so much about you that you don't know. And there's so many layers to things that you maybe thought were very simple, and they're much more complex. And just as the discovery of our universe will be an ongoing process and you will, will likely never be done because sometimes as soon as we figure something out, we, we see that there are so many more questions to answer. Same thing goes with ourselves, that you might think you know yourself, but then you will surprise yourself or recognize there's more to you than you realized. And I think we should never stop trying to discover things about the universe. And I think that's something else that he mentions. And I've heard him, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, talk about the importance of the sciences or even of space programs and studying outer space. Um, We should never give up on studying the universe and the world, but we also should never give up on studying ourselves and better understanding ourselves because we see that we are much more complex. And of course, with that, the people around you are also much more complex and there's always more to discover if we have the mindset of curiosity and understanding of the truth that is the inner cosmos and the complexity of each human being. So that's something else that I thought about while reading the book. Um, But again, it is a departure from the psychological books I tend to talk about on the show, but I thought it would be interesting to bring that into uh, the discussion because I think it is important for us to, to try to learn about all things, to understand our world better. And what better way to understand our world than to try to understand the universe? And so um, this is a great book, a fairly short one, too. And he talks about each topic fairly briefly, which makes it easier to read, uh, which goes with the title, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hope you'll read it if you haven't. And I'll announce the book of the week for this week, again, is Swearing is Good for You. The Amazing Science of Bad Language by Emma Byrne. Look forward to sharing that with you next week. All right, going into our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. At my uh, seminar this Sunday, June 24th, 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection, I'm going to be talking about success. And one of the topics I'll be covering is about hard work and what I like to call the myth of hard work or the myths we have about hard work, which is the idea that working hard is a bad thing And if you can do less work or no work or not try very hard, then that's a good thing. And we should strive towards that, or that should be our aim, is how to do less and not have to try as hard. Effort is bad, uh, and and being relaxed and not doing anything is good. Now, before I get into why I don't think this is true, what I will add is that I definitely believe that leisure play, having fun, relaxing, rest, getting enough sleep, having enough time to take care of yourself, those are very, very important things. So I'm not saying those things are bad. We need to have a balanced life. So it's definitely important to have that too. But the idea that not working or not working at all or that not working hard is a good thing is something that I very much disagree with. I think this partially comes from the fact that most people, most of the time, are doing work or their work, what they do to make a living, to gain a wage and to then be able to pay for their own lives, is something that they don't like doing, is not something they want to do. And also, usually they're working for someone else. And by for someone else, I don't just mean they're an employee at a company, because Uh, That's going to be the case for most people. But I mean, they're not doing work that means something for them. They're working to make money for someone else or for someone else's company or benefit that has nothing to do with something that they necessarily care about. So there is no meaning and passion in their work. So yes, if you're doing work that you don't care about, if you're doing work that's for someone else of course you're not going to care much about it. And also from the time of the industrial revolution, we saw a big change where people were doing things like factory work, where they were just doing a repeated task over and over again that had very little meaning for them, that they didn't enjoy, that was not um, rewarding to them in the work that they were doing. And they were working for someone else to make them more and more money. And that person, um, due to their let's say ideals of capitalism will try to treat them in a way as poorly as they possibly could, both in how much they paid them and in how well they treated them or how comfortable their environment was and how much they got in order to turn the biggest profit. So they were not trying to take care of them. So in a sense, it makes sense to want to do less, to be against the person you're working for. So if you can make him or her, and back then it was virtually always a him, uh, less money, then that's a good thing. You're not getting anything from it. It's just for them. That person is mean and harsh to you and doesn't care about you. So why should you want to try hard? If you can get away with it, you should. And I think this continues to be the prevailing way that people look at work, that doing it is bad and not doing it is good, especially if you could not do it and get paid. But what actually makes our lives meaningful and what makes us feel good about ourselves is when we are productive or contributing in some way, doing something meaningful and valuable. Uh, we've all felt that feeling and how good it feels when we do something for someone that really needed it in a moment. You really feel needed and you do something that they need and it feels really good. It feels like, oh wow, that, that feels nice. You feel powerful and strong and by powerful I don't mean like better than others but you feel the vitality of your own strength your own feeling I've mentioned this a few times recently it's come up but how Eric Fromm talks about giving being better than receiving not because giving is more painful and in that way it makes it more noble than to receive, but then in giving, I get to feel my own strength, my own ability, my own vitality as a person. And that feels good. That's something that actually gives to me. And that's why it's better to give than to receive, not because it's just painful and because I'm sacrificing, it makes me a good person. It's actually good for me. So to work hard and to do work is actually a privilege. And a good thing. You actually see this with people who don't have the ability to work, either from some kind of disability or because they're prevented from working. Let's say if they're on some kind of, their immigration status makes prevents them from working, or they're put in a way, even jailed or something where they're prevented from being productive, you see the effect it has on how they're just wishing so badly to be able to work. So we know that it's actually Maybe a need is a strong word, but almost a human need to feel good, to feel okay. Just like um, your body, the physical body, if you don't work it, it actually starts to die and it loses its strength. Our selves, in that way of work, we're the same. So, by this, I mean that if we take the way people tend to look at work, it's that do as little as you can, and that's the best, and that's going to make you feel the best. But if we take that same approach to the body, we see that the less you do, the weaker it becomes. The people with the strongest bodies, it's not that they've worked it so little that it's maintained its strength. They've actually keep working it and in that way it stays strong and gets stronger. It doesn't get weaker from doing work. But if we can use that same approach with ourselves, we see that the harder that we work, the better we become, the better we feel. I've gone through periods myself. I remember in school when you'd have breaks sometimes and rather than, you know, the rest was good maybe for a little bit, but after a while, not having a schedule and not feeling productive wouldn't feel very good. If I, we weren't, I wasn't filling up my time with anything, it wouldn't feel good. I'd feel lazy and not as good about myself and what I was doing. And so I realized it was actually better when I was in school and had that structure and had classes and things to learn and learn read and do papers even though they were were stressful it gave me that feeling of productivity that actually felt good so working hard and having work to do is a blessing is a good thing and so we have to shift our mindset from thinking how can i get out of doing work to how do i get to do work that's meaningful to me how do i get to do work that's good for me and how can i actually work hard at it because that is a very good thing and a thing that's going to make you feel good. So the first thing is recognizing that not working is not good. To work is actually good and to do something. And by work, I don't just mean having a job necessarily because that's what we tend to think of as work, but I mean being productive in some way. Someone might be volunteering and they don't get paid for it, but it's something that's productive. But because they're contributing, it'll feel good. So giving up this idea that working is bad or to not work is is what we should be striving towards. That's the first step. But then another very important part is that we have to find work that means something to us. It has to be something that we find to be valuable, something that we feel makes a difference, contributes in some way, that we're excited about, passionate about. And it's especially helpful when it's something that we feel we are good at, something that utilizes and uses our best gifts, skills, and attributes. That's gonna be very good. That's gonna make us feel good. And so if you can find that, then first you'll find that work itself feels good, doesn't feel painful. Even that idea of work, it's an interesting, the connotations that it has, what's attached to it. When you hear work, you think of something negative, something that takes away from you, drains your energy, um, something you want to avoid. But we realize that work, when you like doing it, it feels good just like how people say choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life we say that because work is assumed to be something that we don't like but in this case i'm talking about work that you enjoy to do so you enjoy putting in the time and then when you find that thing that you love that you feel that you're good at that you feel is meaningful to you because it's contributing to society contributing to people contributing in some way then To actually do the more loving thing, even for yourself, and it is also for the whole world, is to work hard, work hard at being the best at whatever it is you do, to become better and better and better, consistently working hard to improve on yourself, to become the best you can be. That's actually going to feel good for you, going to make you feel better than not working hard. But if we have that mentality that working hard is bad, then you think, well, why should I practice more or why should I um, keep getting better at what I do? You know, even if we look at something like continuing education that most professionals have to do, like psychologists, uh, medical doctors, dentists, lawyers, many different careers where you have to have some kind of license license. practice, you have to do continuing education. And I know most people in my field and most people in most fields look at continuing education as this annoying thing that you just have to do to maintain your license. So we, we do it in ways that maybe aren't very meaningful to us. But the overall idea of it does make sense that, okay, you've studied and you've earned your degree, but you should be continuing to learn and continuing to Try to get better and make sure you're at the state of the art of whatever field it is to understand the best technologies, the best approaches, treatments, whatever it might be to serve your clients, patients the best that you can. And even for me, reading a book a week is part of that process, but I try to do other things. But it's not that I read these books and I'm giving to anyone else. I'm the one who benefits from it. And then hopefully I can help people even more from what I learn from that. So the idea of continuing education is a very good one, but we kind of look at education, school work, again, has that word work in it, the same way we look at um, work itself on occupation. We think of it as something that you should try to avoid, something you should try not to do if you can. You only do it because someone tells you, in this case, instead of a boss, it's a teacher or professor, but we miss the point where it's actually good for us. It's good for you to learn, and I think that's why actually for most people the idea of reading a book for leisure seems almost you know oxymoronic to them. They're like, wait, read a book to enjoy it? Book was something I was forced to read, almost as pain or punishment, or just to get some result. But we miss the point that reading could be beneficial to us. It can feel good for us to read, to learn something new. So this idea that working hard is something we only do when someone forces us is something that we have to recognize as a myth we've been taught from a very young age. And it's why a lot of times parents think, well, the only way to get your kids to do something is you have to make them afraid or give them punishments or even have constant rewards, which doesn't work if it's constant, um, to get them to do something. Not realizing that if you get a kid to do something that they love They'll want to work hard at it. If they're learning a musical instrument and they actually enjoy it, you shouldn't have to force them to play. They'll want to do it. Now, you might have to help them create structure and a schedule and habits to develop that will help them do that. But if they love to do it, they'll want to do it. And using fear or the fear of punishment to get them to do it, won't instill the love and won't get them to keep doing it and to work hard at it for the benefits of actually enjoying it. They'll just be doing it to avoid the punishment, to avoid the pain. And we know that doesn't work long-term because when you do that, then the second they can avoid punishment, or if the second the punisher is not around, they're not going to do it. So if you force your kid to play piano every day, and they do it when you're there, then if you're gone one day, they're going to make sure they don't do it because they're only doing it to please you and to avoid you being upset. So this mindset gets instilled in us from a very young age very often that working hard is bad for us, that not working is good and something we should strive towards. If you can get paid for not doing any work, people think, oh my God, that's the dream. And I never think of that as a good thing the idea that, Oh, it'd be so nice to just get paid and not do anything. That's not a good thing. You're not going to feel good long-term if you're not doing something meaningful. Now I'm not saying you don't, you have to do work. Maybe you have a lot of money and you don't need to actually work, but do something productive and contributing and something that gives of your gifts to the world, because that's going to make you feel good and make you feel happy and help you live a meaningful life. So in this Sunday seminar, I'll talk a bit more about this idea of the myths of hard work, but also about how we find that if we can choose a meaningful career, that can be one of the biggest contributions to our lives as far as living a meaningful and happy life and really achieving what I think is success, which means you live a life that you're content with, that has meaning and purpose. And in that way you are successful because you will feel good about how you live your life every day. And when you look back at your life, you'll be content and feel like it was a successful life because of the hard work that you did for good things. Find something good and become good at it. And keep working hard at it. Because that's what's going to make you feel happy long term and help you live a meaningful life. So looking forward to sharing these ideas and more this Sunday, June 24th, 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection, where I'll be doing my success seminar. Hope to see you there. All right, going into our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So last week on Wednesday, I talked a bit about being nice. And this idea that being nice actually isn't such a good thing. And I got into what nice is and what I think it is and isn't and all that. But some people had a reaction. I got some messages and feedback, people saying, wait, you want, you don't want us to be nice? You don't think people should be nice? And so I thought maybe I can clarify um, what I mean by that. Uh, I think there's different words that we use. Um, and maybe sometimes they have certain meanings to us. At certain moments, but nice is one of those words to me that means doing something that kind of looks good in the moment or acting overly kind or doing something because it's going to look nice, not genuinely being kind. So I was making that distinction between niceness and kindness and genuine kindness, which comes from the place of just giving and not from any expectation or because of anything. And if you think about it, you'll see that a lot of what most of us do throughout the day involves doing things that we're doing to be nice so that other people will like us or that other people might not judge us for some reason. And so that's what I was talking about because I think what's important to realize is that when we're being nice in that way, just doing it in a non-genuine way, a way that we don't actually feel, it isn't actually a very nice thing or a kind thing. It can actually be quite mean and i brought up some examples of things like when people say well i was dating someone and i didn't want to break up to, with them because i it, it was gonna hurt them so i was being nice and i think this is not a nice thing at all it's actually very very mean to that person to stay with them out of pity or guilt you're doing that just for yourself because of your own guilt not anything because of them or because you don't want to be there in that moment when they are hurt Um, You just want to protect yourself and your own image or even how they're going to think of you or what you're going to think of yourself. So that's not uh, being nice or actually being kind, I should say. That's what I would call in a way being nice. But I did want to add something else about being polite or to me what I think we should be doing is being the kindest you can be in any moment, but that kindness should be genuine. So I don't have any problem with people, for example, greeting each other politely, being kind to one another. I think again, you should be the kindest you can be in any moment. If you're encountering a stranger on the street and you smile and say, hello, that to me is kindness. And that could be coming from a good place. Now, if you're smiling at them because you want to get something out of them or because you want them to like you in that moment, that's very different. So this actually comes back to the idea that if you have genuine kindness, the genuine part is what's important, which means that you have to have that feeling and you have to actually have that positive feeling towards other people, even strangers, which is something you can work towards. We can try to become More compassionate. Even there's research on things like compassion meditation that shows that you can start to cultivate this feeling of compassion for all living things, not even just all people, but all living things. And they they often say start with yourself and then your family and then maybe extended family and then maybe your community or your culture or your, let's say, people from your nationality, and maybe you extend, but then. You start to extend that towards all people and even strangers. And I think that very much is possible. I think when you tell people to love everyone, they kind of get this idea that you're saying something, something, you know, like a hippie mentality and uh, something that's not really realistic, but I think it is realistic and not necessarily that you're going to be there all the time and every minute have love for everyone, but that you can become more loving towards the people around you and the world around you. Even you can be loving towards people you'll never see or to people that aren't even born yet by doing things like taking care of the environment or your surroundings or creating things that you won't get to necessarily see the fruits of that labor. You're being loving towards the world and towards people you don't even know or sometimes in ways that we leave our legacy, you do things that you never get to see the result but that might have positive change for generations going forward. So I think you can cultivate that. So first and foremost, we have to create a more kind heart within ourselves. We have to become more loving because the more loving you are and the more kind your heart is, the less you're going to have to be fake nice because you'll genuinely feel kind more often towards people. But if you don't have good feelings towards other people, then you're going to either have to be mean to them essentially or have to fake nice, which to me is not a good thing. It is not actually being nice. So that's something that I think we all need to strive towards, becoming more loving. And where we can start with that is first cultivating love towards ourselves by being more, uh, having more self-love, by genuinely caring for ourselves and loving who we are, for seeing ourselves for who we are, that's going to be the first step. And to love something whether it's an object or another person or ourselves we have to know that thing and so i talked about in the first segment about the inner cosmos that i like to think about that our psyche our unconscious is like this inner cosmos that there's so much there that we can look and search and discover, but there will always be more to discover and so much of it will remain hidden to us. We have to strive to know ourselves first, to truly love ourselves. People who love themselves are people who actually see their good, their bad, they're ugly, they see the flaws, they see their strengths, they actually see what's there. And this is where the distinction comes in between self-love or something like pride or Uh, ego what sometimes people call or someone who is cocky or conceited or selfish that person does not love themselves too much as eric Fromm says in the art of loving that person doesn't love themselves at all or doesn't love themselves enough that's the problem and when we don't love ourselves we try to fill that hole with other things or we try to just take and take and take but if i feel filled up from within with my own love my own understanding with my own feeling of being okay i won't try to take too much or try to take from others it's kind of like if you didn't have any food and then you were given unlimited water you try to take and take maybe extra water because something else was missing but just like the outside things we try to take will never fill in that lack of self-love that we have more and more water will never fill that hunger or that void of food that you need. That hunger will never get completed or um, relieved through the water. And so when we try to fill our self-love with outside forces too, we see that it doesn't work. We first need to love ourselves. So people who genuinely love themselves, they actually see their flaws, but they love themselves despite them, or maybe even not despite them, including them. Because sometimes despite means like, okay, I don't like you for that, but I'll still love you anyway. But I mean, you actually see yourself and see the cracks and sometimes even the cracks can make you beautiful i'm not saying if you're being bad in some way but that you've had some pains have some sorrows have some weaknesses insecurities vulnerabilities that can all be part of the beauty that makes you you so first you have to love yourself and have genuine self-love and i'm actually going to do a seminar soon on self-love because i think it's such an important topic because i think it gets so misconstrued Um, very often I even use the word today, ego, that people used to say, if you, it's the ego that causes all the problems ourselves. But to me, it's not about having too much self-love. It's that they don't have enough love that's coming out in that way. So having genuine self-love is a very good thing that we all should strive to create more of. And once we love ourselves more, we can actually love others better. We can love all of humanity So we can be genuinely kind and more kind to people around us, to strangers, to people you meet on the street, to someone who even upsets you. You can be more kind to them. doesn't always mean you'll avoid conflict, and that's something I talked about, which I'll touch on in a minute or so. Um, But it means that you will respond in ways that are more loving. So first we have to love ourselves, then we can love other people. But if we're going to be genuine with people, which to me being genuine is much better than being just nice, we're going to sometimes upset them. And we're going to have to sometimes face that upset. Uh, So for example, something that probably all of us have experienced at some point is you've made plans with someone and they cancel the plans, or actually I should say they don't cancel the plans, they just what sometimes people, especially in LA, they call they flake on you. Now, sometimes they say flake, even if they tell you to cancel, but sometimes it's if they just stand you up. They don't even show up and they give you no explanation as to why they're canceling or even that they are canceling the plans. So you might end up somewhere and someone doesn't show up. Maybe you haven't experienced this, but probably most people have. Now, the person on the other end, there obviously could be lots of reasons why this happens. But sometimes this happens because the person doesn't want to face the conflict. Because they don't want to experience the discomfort of letting you know they can't make it. Or even they don't want to make it. They don't want to see you or hang out with you or um, do whatever it is that you guys were going to do together. And because they don't want to face that, they'd rather just be quiet and not say it. And this might be someone, if someone is very nice in the ways we think of being nice, they're actually more likely to do something like this because someone who is nice just to be nice so other people will like them or not dislike them, they have a very hard time letting people down or facing that feeling of I'm hurting someone or they're upset with me or they don't like what I'm doing. And so because of that, rather than facing the music and letting you know they can't make it and being assertive and being direct, they will in their own way of being nice, avoid that. But again, it's very mean. You'd much rather know what's going on. So I'm gonna do more talks about this um, issue of niceness, because I've seen it play out in so many different ways that people strive towards being seen as a nice person, but that niceness isn't something we should strive towards. I'm all about being polite, being kind, but all of those things should be coming from a genuine place. When they don't come from a genuine place, they aren't kind and they aren't so nice as in giving us a good feeling. There's something much worse than that. And it's not something that we should continue to promote in our societies and in all societies. And if we look at especially the Persian culture, we see that, Niceness goes to extremes, things like taruf or that you should offer things even if you don't really want to offer them, you should reject things even if you actually want to accept something that someone is offering you. This is all in some ways like exaggerated niceness, but there's nothing good about it. One, you don't know if someone is offering you something, if it's coming from their heart, if they genuinely care, if they want to give that to you. And two, when someone says no, you don't know if they really mean no, or they want you to offer it again, or what's going on, and we don't know what's actually happening. And even people say things in Persian culture, like they say what basically translates to, I'm your servant, I will die for you, to people they just met or they don't even care about. And this is just totally empty words that seem nice. It's what you're supposed to do to be a nice person when you maybe greet someone. Or even people who are trying to be nicer take it to more extremes. And they'll say even more degrading things about themselves or even more, um, you know, putting some, idealizing the other person and how they talk to them. But it's all empty. It doesn't mean anything. And we should hopefully move away from these types of communicating and really realizing that it's not, we pay a price for being nice as a culture, and that genuine forms of communication will be better. So as I said before, I'm okay with being polite. And I think even pleasantries sometimes make sense. When you greet someone, you say, hello, how are you? And yeah, people say, oh, we say, how are you? But we don't really mean it because you're supposed to say I'm good or something very short and not get into something, even if it is that you're not doing well. I'm okay with some of those exchanges. We can say small talk is... Stupid or silly, or some people say I hate small talk, but some of it is needed because even you have to have that small talk to then go deeper. You can't just jump in. Even sometimes a client will come into therapy and they maybe had a heavy session the time before and they might want to pick up where they left off, but they see that it takes a little bit of time to warm up and to get back into that emotional space. It's kind of like you're doing deep sea diving. You have to kind of gradually go down there. You can't just force yourself back to the bottom of the sea again. You have to take your time to get down there. So the small talk is okay. So I'm okay with the pleasantries uh pleasant that we have with each other, but I think it's important that we think about what it means to be nice and how we actually hurt each other and hurt ourselves and are less genuine with each other by trying to stick to these ideals of of what it means to be nice and niceness rather than cultivating genuine kindness and also just being genuine in general being more authentic and being more assertive and clear about what we think and what we feel and that this is actually a better type of world to live in than one where you don't know if someone actually means what they say or if they're just being nice. And because of that, there's going to be a lot of miscommunication or lack of communication that causes more problems. So I'll definitely talk more about this topic, but I appreciate the feedback that people had Um if you disagree with something I'm saying or if something I'm saying is not very clear, always let me know so I can maybe add to it or call in and let me know what you think. Uh, but we've reached the end of today's show. And again, I won't be doing a show Wednesday because of Iran's game versus Spain, which I will be watching. So hope you'll enjoy watching that game. I'll be with you next week. And again, this Sunday, June 24th from 3 to 6 p.m., I'll be doing my seminar on success. Uh, tickets are available $40 at the door. Hope to see you there. Thank you, Dami. You're here in the studio, and everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Doctor Fatty Dovlakwi. Have a wonderful night.